Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Nirmal Malaikul. The United Nations put out a sprawling, sobering report this week about the world's ability to slow global warming. And broadly, what the report found isn't that surprising. Global warming is bad, and it's getting worse. But the report also pointed to another unsettling truth. Scientists still don't have answers to many of the questions that will define how well the world copes with the worst impacts of climate change. So today, Politico's Carl Matheson on the takeaways from the UN's latest climate report, what was missing, and the limitations of the UN's climate change panel moving forward. It's Wednesday, March 22nd. Look, I think the key takeaway was a reiteration of this idea that we are really careening into the abyss of climate change at a rapid rate and barely pumping the brakes. One of the, I guess, symbolic but important messages to come out of the report is this idea that we're going to probably breach the 1.5 degree limit of the Paris Agreement within the next 10 years. So sometime probably in the early to mid 2030s, we're going to go past that mark. And that's where the scientists have said we go beyond what's really containable and we get into some really severe disasters. So that's the big takeaway from scientists this week. Got it. But it feels like we've heard these messages before. I mean, what was new about this report? What was it missing? Yeah, it's absolutely fair to say that. And I think, honestly, as reporters, we were very aware writing this report that readers will feel like this is a bit repetitive. And the reason is because it is. The structure of the IPCC is that they put out a series of reports over the last few years. This final report called a synthesis report basically takes all six of those reports and puts them together in one consumable mega report that then they boil down to 35 or so pages and they put out this week. And it's a very useful document, obviously, as a summary of science, but In terms of new messages, like this is all science that we've actually heard from the IPCC before and all of it essentially now several years old. So it is difficult to say that this is new, shocking, whatever. it's, It's only shocking because of the magnitude and because we seem to not be paying heed to the warnings that we're getting repeatedly from these scientists. Right. And speaking of magnitude, one of the main points from this report was about identifying how many climate vulnerable people there will be. What did the panel find? Yeah. So the report identifies that there are around 3.3 to 3.6 billion vulnerable people. I guess what that means is people who are more exposed than their fellow humans to the extremes of climate change, be it storms or drought or some other impacts. And that's half of humanity, essentially. But what we really don't have good science on yet 
is who those people are and where they are. Now, we know that mostly they're in the developing world, right? Because the factors that make you vulnerable are often linked to the resources that you have to survive a disaster and rebuild. They're also linked to the places that you live on Earth. And there's a kind of terrible coincidence with climate change that a lot of the impacts are in the kind of equatorial regions of the world are concentrated on those areas and that's also where and the vast majority of poor people in the world live so there's these kind of historical and colonial and economic overlaps but that doesn't mean that there aren't vulnerable people in the rich part of the world i mean if people are economically marginalized indigenous groups even like people that rely on the land for their incomes these are all people that may be considered more vulnerable than the people around them so what's going to be really difficult and essential in the next coming years as we move into a an era of climate impacts and we kind of go from trying to stop climate change to both trying to stop climate change and also cope with it and contain it then we're going to have to know who the most vulnerable people are so we can deploy the right adaptation measures and defenses against these impacts. And another interesting point that you highlighted in your reporting actually gets at the response to this report. And it's about this question of, is the IPCC actually fit to make this assessment? What exactly do you mean by that? So there's an issue there with how the IPCC is maybe structuring itself and structuring its reports in terms of actually giving us something new each time they bring out one of these mega reports to say to the world, look, here's some new science. But there's another, I guess, deeper and more political question around the IPCC. And that's because the IPCC is a a panel of the most august and brilliant climate scientists, but it's also an intergovernmental body which has the members of all the world's nations or most of the world's nations. And that membership is not going to be totally open all the time to hearing really prescriptive views about what they should do with their economies. And as we move into the real nitty-gritty era of climate change where the answers that we need are going to be about how we restructure our economies and which defences we have to employ and who to save and how we do that, it's going to be much harder for the scientists to get these messages out there in a way that isn't going to be battered back by the governments of the world, I think. And that's something that we've been hearing from some of the scientists, that they're wondering how they kind of be as useful as they can be in terms of giving us the kind of science that we need while also being part of this UN system that always ends up in a political morass where we end up watering things down or maybe not hitting the messages as hard as we could be. Also... The Department of Energy says the private sector needs to step up its spending if the U.S. wants to meet President Joe Biden's climate goals. On Tuesday, DOE said cumulative investments will need to increase from $40 billion to more than $260 billion across hydrogen, nuclear, and long-duration energy storage sectors by 2030. 
The conclusion from DOE underscores the private sector's role in achieving commercial adoption of the clean energy technologies required to help reach net zero emissions by 2050. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com power switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Nirmal Malaykul, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. Chevron is developing renewable diesel made with biofeedstock that can help reduce the life cycle carbon emissions of heavy-duty transport fuels today. Learn more at chevron.com.